Thanks for tuning in. I'm Ben Aston, and this is the Digital Project Manager Podcast. As project managers, we're masters of getting stuff done. But what are the tricks for getting more stuff done and that stuff that we're getting done, getting it done better? Today, I'm joined by Cedric Wahlberger. Cedric, thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you for having me, Ben. I'm glad to be here. Let me tell you a bit about Cedric. He's an interesting guy to talk to uh, from a project management perspective because he somehow manages to do uh, a lot of stuff. Uh, he founded his his first company when he was 14. He's built various tech companies. He's invested in lots more. Uh, and he currently works on a productivity startup, which is why he is here today, uh, called Sentask, which we'll be talking about shortly uh, but he's involved in all kinds of interesting companies, including uh, cryptocurrency. Um, but he also, interestingly, spreads his time across lots of different places. Uh, he doesn't have an apartment anymore, and he claims to only have 64 things, which you can read all about on his blog, uh, 64things.com. But I'm really going to be picking Cedric's brain today on how to get more stuff done. And I think as project managers, this is a this is a really important thing for us to get hold of and master because there never seems to be enough time to do everything. But before uh, we dive into that, Cedric, why don't we find out a bit more about you? Can you tell us what your story is? I kind of gave an overview there of you starting your first company at 14, but how is it that you're doing what you're doing right now? Yeah, definitely. Um, You already mentioned I started my first company early on, and I think ever since then I've been infected with the startup bug. I'm, I'm fascinated with the process of building a company and super interested in deconstructing this process of how am I going to get from an idea that I had at the bar last night to 1 million. And 1 million could mean 1 million users, 1 million packages shipped, or a million revenue. Um, and this process just um, fascinates me so much that I've optimized a lot of things in my life to be part of many different companies and, and just try to deconstruct that uh, process as often and in as many scenarios as possible. So have you got any sneaky ideas? What ideas did you have at the bar last night? Yeah. We... <laughs> <laughs> I was actually, so, so this is a, this is a special week. I'm actually doing um, air force service um, in the Swiss air force right now. And uh, I'm just amazed by how many inefficiencies I see every week um, that I spend here. Um, so plenty of ideas on how to do things. <laughs> Cool. So you, um, you've got your, yeah, you, you're doing lots of different things, but what do you, and you talk about, um, yeah, flying around the place, not actually living anywhere in particular, but what do you actually do? <laughs> like, I know you travel, I know you're involved, but what, what does, what's the kind of extent of your involvement? What do you, when you go to place to place, what are you doing? Yeah. So right now there's uh, three companies that I'm uh, working on. I spent about 50% of my time on Sentask, the, the productivity tool. And yeah. that one is completely distributed. So we don't even have an office with that company. Um, but then the other two companies, the cryptocurrency and the computer vision company, they have offices um, in the US and in Europe. Um, and so just to meet those teams, I hit Berlin, Zurich, Miami, and San Francisco quite often. And then in between that, there's um, conferences that I go to or um, sometimes also just fun trips um, because I've organized my life so that I can work from anywhere. Uh, sometimes I also just choose to be somewhere and spend time with a friend that I haven't seen in a while and work from that place. Sounds sounds fun. But t- tell me, what is a, a computer vision company? 
What what is computer vision? Oh yeah, so what we do is we we've written an algorithm that analyzes images that come from cameras, and okay, we use it to help bars um, to analyze transactions and match match the record that we get from the cameras to their POS system to detect fraud, and we're basically building a Google Analytics for bars. For bars, <laughs> for bars so, and restaurants, yeah. Okay, and uh, and what do and what can people do with these insights then? So they can work out um, the kind of the likelihood of someone, like how how much time they'll spend at a table, how much money they might spend, that kind of thing. So the biggest use case right now is that, um, and we've discovered this a few years ago because one of my co-founders was in the bar and restaurant space. He he managed a bar before. Um, and what he saw is that um, you would typically lose between 10 and 25% of your revenue just because drinks are not rung up properly. Now, some of this is just fraud or people are stealing your money. Other times it's just forgotten. And, and so it's a pretty, pretty big problem if you, the average American bar does about $4 million in annual revenue. So you lose between half a million and a million dollars per year. And as you can imagine, with a problem this big, there's many solutions. There's people putting RFID chips on bottles or even weight scales under, underneath each bottle. Um, there's services that send people into your bar to just watch your staff. Um, but it's all kind of not very elegant, and, and there's, it's a big financial effort to implement these systems. Whereas for us, we just plug into the security cameras that you usually already have, and we use our software to... Um, cut down from a two-hour-long video covering a shift to just the 50 images that capture um, when a transaction actually happened, so when a, a beer or a Coke or whatever was actually handed out. And then we automatically also match that to your point-of-sale system. And so the next day you get a report saying, hey, last night we saw 500 transactions, um, and 100 of them could not be properly linked to the POS system. Um, so you should check in with these employees and look at um, these transactions and, and see if you can train them better um, to reduce this uh, rate of false transactions. Fancy stuff. That sounds interesting. <laughs> so that's one of them. <laughs> that's one of the one of the companies. Is that that's not one of them that you're spending lots of your time on now, or it is? It is. Yeah, that's one of the oh, three. Okay. So yeah, so um, it's called Glimpse. Um, so that one and uh, the cryptocurrency, um, Definity, is where I spend about, about half my time and then the other half I spend on Sentask. So, yeah, I'm interested in cryptocurrencies, as everyone seems to be this year with like Bitcoin hitting $10,000. Um, so where do you where do you fit into that? Like, it seems like there's a new cryptocurrency um, find, you know, about to be released like every day. Everyone's jumping on board now. So what are you what are you guys doing exactly? Yeah, so what we're doing is we're building a new blockchain, um, which is a lot of the currencies that you see coming up or tokens that you see uh, being released day by day. Um, a lot of them are just Ethereum ERC-20 tokens, uh, meaning they're all built on top of Ethereum, which is great because Ethereum provides you with this, uh, like the capability to create smart contracts and uh do a lot of stuff on the Ethereum ecosystem. But we're building a completely separate blockchain because we're building a much, much faster and more scalable version of Ethereum. Um, one way to look at it is that um, in Ethereum, it takes you about 15 minutes to get to finality, meaning 
you are certain that the transaction actually went through because there's a few blocks after the one where your um, transaction was recorded. So that takes about 15 minutes on Ethereum, which if you think about it, is not very practical um, if you're doing that. Uh, if you want to pay for it for something in Ethereum in a in a store or <laughs> some other yeah. real life situation, and so in our system because we're not using proof of work, we're using proof of stake, which is a different consensus mechanism. Um, it only takes zero point nine seconds to get to finality. Um, so what's what's proof of what's proof of stake then? How how does that work? So proof of stake means um, a new block is not found by solving all these. Um, math riddles that um, current proof-of-work algorithms use, but by uh, putting up some of your money and then using an algorithm to determine who's get, who gets to create the next block. Um, and we do that by something that we call uh, threshold relay, um, which is um, we've basically found a way to create random numbers in this distributed decentralized setup and choose some clients randomly who are then picked to create the next block and get rewarded for that. Interesting. Yeah, because I, I, I know that the yeah, the whole challenge around like the backlog of transactions on um, Bitcoin, like slowing things down and then the forking that was going to happen that now isn't happening, but obviously that impacts performance. So it'll be interesting to see like <laughs> Yeah, what what happens with cryptocurrencies over the next couple of years? But it seems like in this just the past few months, uh, it's insane what's going on. So, is it a bubble? Do you think it's a bubble, or what do you think is going to happen? What's your prediction? Um, I think it's very hard to say what the actual value of a Bitcoin is because there's no uh, counterpart in the real world. Um, and I think there's definitely. Like one example that that tells me that now it's hitting mainstream is um, one of the companies that I that I'm invested in is the largest e-commerce site for sex toys in Switzerland, and so um, un, up and until about six or nine months ago, like when I met um, friends, like that company was usually the one that got the most interest. Everyone wanted to know what's new on the market and what works how, <laughs> and now it's all about crypto, and yeah. just the fact that. Um, Crypto is so much more interesting and catches people's <laughs> attention more than sex toys. Uh, think I think tells me a lot about how how big the um, attention is that this space is getting yeah. right now. Yeah, fun stuff. So so you're going around. To, uh, you're working with these different um, companies, but what's what's your role? What's your role within them? What are the kind of challenges that you're dealing with in your different? Uh, startups that you're working with yeah so for Centask, i'm the sole founder ceo um cto and um i i have a lot of different i'm wearing a lot of different hats um for the other two i'm more of a coo type of founder so i have someone who runs the day-to-day um but i i help out with the organization and um helping them build um processes and keeping everyone on the same page and for a lot of years, I thought it's a it's a big dilemma that I'm not able to focus on. I'm just too curious. I can't focus on just one company for some reason. Um, and for a long time, it's it's been a struggle. But then recently, um, what I've realized is that what it, what it forces me to do is work on the companies and not in the companies so much. And by that, what I mean is like really focus on 
um, building the right processes for other people to execute and creating the environment that allows other people to be most efficient. Um, so for, for example, for Centask, um, being CEO for me means um, only two things. One is I'm, I'm kind of setting up the guidelines and keeping everyone um, aligned with our general vision. And the other job is I'm making sure everyone has all the tools and processes and the environment that they need to be most effective. And that's basically my my only two tasks, which is still a lot, but like focusing on just that um, really helps me scale the company uh, really well because it, it does, I don't involve myself in the day-to-day processes so much. Yeah, interesting. And so, yeah. So, how do you um, how do you manage everything? How do you keep track of you're involved in three different companies like right now, um, and you're, yeah, you're you're trying to create these um, like frameworks for the yeah for the companies to succeed. So, what what are you what are you what's in your toolkit? How do you keep track of of everything that you're doing? Yeah, because the companies are kind of spread out between um, San Francisco, Miami, Zurich, and Berlin. Um, There's also a lot of time zone differences. And so um, about two years ago, I realized I need to become really good at working asynchronously with people, meaning um, just because of the time zone differences, it's it's hard to get people um, on the phone sometimes. And um, I use mainly two tools, um, I think, with the teams. One is Slack. Um, which I think is phenomenal. It's a lot of fun to work with Slack and um, it's great to uh, stay in touch with people all around the globe. And then the other yeah. tool that I, of course, use very often is Sentask. Um, and we've connected the two of them. So we've built a Slack integration for Sentask. Um, so just briefly, Sentask is a shared task manager. So it allows you to keep track of your tasks and priorities. And what we've seen in the past before we had Sentask is that very often in Slack, we would discuss a problem or a feature or a, uh, a customer feedback, and we would come to a conclusion, but then the conversation kind of died there. Or sometimes two people will put it on their to-do list, but very often it was not clear like who's going to work on this now and who's going to resolve this issue. Um, so what we've built with Sentask is a very simple integration in Slack where you can just say, um, slash send task. Um, hey Ben, can you please uh, send me that, or can you please build that feature until next Wednesday? And then from that, send task automatically creates a task that's assigned to you, has the right due date, so next Wednesday, and the right title, and provides you with a link to go back into that conversation to find all the details. So that's been really helpful, and and those are the the two main tools I I think that help me keep on track and uh, on the same page with, with the teams. Cool. So, yeah, so how, how big is your team then on Centask? I'm, I'm intrigued. Like you've, you've built a, a project management, you're focusing on task management. How like, uh, there's, there's loads, there's loads of them out there, but what's, um, tell me about your team that you've got working on Centask. Yeah. So the Centask team right now is 11 people um, in 10 different countries. And uh, we just started in, we got started in February. We released our first um, beta or alpha product um, the month after in in March this year. And uh, we just released an iOS app. We're close to releasing the Android app. So we're all about lean processes and getting stuff out, testing it with real customers and real users, and then improving quickly. 
most of these people are um, have a technology background. So a lot of us are uh, developers. And then we also have um, someone who helps us with content writing and, of course, design and user experience. Cool. And so what, what made you, like, I get the idea of, um, yeah, distributed teams, but, um, yeah, in my experience, it can be challenging. And what you're, des- what you're describing sounds crazy to me. Like you have a team of 11 people or something in 10 different countries or and how many different time zones? That's probably at least three. How yeah, does, uh, what made you, what made you choose to work like in this distributed way? Yeah. So I, we started building Sentask when I was already traveling a lot. And so um, when I um, realized I want to start this company, I asked myself, where do I set it up? Because um, I'm never in the same place for too long anyway. And then I thought maybe it's an it could be a cool experiment to see if I can kind of transfer my personal lifestyle, which is living without the flat or a constant apartment or a constant home, um, to see if that can be um, transferred to how to build a company, meaning a company without an office. And um, there's obvious, there's obviously a lot of downsides and upsides. Um, I think the downsides are it's a bit harder to keep everyone on the same page. Um, you need to build processes to stay in touch and, and also see people from time to time. But there's also a lot of upsides, um, one of them being that everyone can be extremely flexible with their work hours. So we don't require people to start at eight and finish at five. Um, that's something that I've learned when I was working as a software developer is that sometimes I just don't feel productive in the morning, but I get very productive from 2 p.m. till 2 a.m. And so I, yeah. I feel like we, I want to give people a chance to work when they're most productive and be flexible with their time. Um, yeah. And on the other hand, it gives us a great opportunity to hire the best talent from anywhere. Um Whereas if I'm hiring in Berlin or Zurich or Miami or even San Francisco, there's always the talent pool is always much, much smaller than if I can just hire from plus minus three time zones. Yeah. So how many time zones are you working across? I think it's five right now. Um, not counting wow, mine, okay. which changes every few days. <laughs> yeah. And so how do you say... So, are you even do you even do things like daily scrums or like or weekly meetings or what's the kind of cadence of your um yeah getting everyone aligned and um and meeting together yeah so it starts with us meeting every 90 days so once a quarter we bring people together because i think building a company is very much about the company that you're building it with meaning the people behind it um so you can have all the you can have the greatest process in processes in the world i think in the end it always comes down to how people uh, get along with each other and and aligning everyone so we do fly everyone to the same location every like once a quarter every 90 days and what we do and we use that week to a do team building get to know each other outside work and create some fun experiences Um, but then we also use that time to think about the tough and hard problems that come up in our business so what is Sentask? Who is our target customer? Stuff like this. And then towards the end, the last two days, we usually use to lay out the roadmap for the next 90 days until we get together again. And um, we kind of create weekly or biweekly milestones for what everyone is going to be working on. And then when everyone goes back to their um, where they work from, 
it allows us to be super efficient with very little um, synchronous communication. So we only get on a call once a week for about 45 minutes um, where we discuss updates and um, we call them talking points, basically stuff that people think are better handled talking to each other than in writing. And um, we also use that call for a bit of fun. Um, usually at the end, we uh, solve a riddle together. So we're all very passionate about creative problem solving and like tough problems. And so every week, someone else um, presents a riddle uh, for the whole group and tries to make it as difficult as possible because we've gotten pretty good <laughs> at it. <laughs> That's cool. So what what do you think, so for someone else who's kind of working with a distributed team, what for you are the kind of the secrets to making remote working work? What have you found are the kind of the, the most essential things to to making remote working kind of achievable? I think for us it was, um, or it is, a lot about first becoming conscious of the up and downsides of what it means to working remotely and what that means for each and every role. Um, I think creating a software product um, is something that really lends itself well to this remote setup um, because once people have all the the information that they need, they can work uh, very independently. Uh, once they're onboarded, they know the system and uh, they understand our processes. Um, but I think we we also reassess how we do work together every 90 days. Like every time we get together, we talk about what has worked well, what hasn't worked well. We've, we give each other feedback. So I think it's, as with every other company, it's all about like evolving and being open for feedback and adapting your processes to making them better. Um, so I think that's one thing. And the other component for me that's super essential is that, um, as, as I said, it's all about the people and, and creating space and time where um, we can get to know each other and, and see who's behind that work persona, figure out what they like and how they are uh, in their free time. Cool. And so... I Let's kind of go back to Centask for a second. So where did the where did the idea of actually coming up with a project management, creating a project management tool come from? Like there are there are stacks of other project management uh tools out there. Lots of them do lots more than just task task management. So what made you um and obviously like the, the classics like everyone's tends to use or default or, or know like Asana and Basecamp. Um, so how is Centask different from that? And kind of what's your roadmap for Centask? Yeah. I mean, first of all, I, I think just because it is such a crowded place, I did not want to build this company or this product for a very long time. Um, I was <laughs> trying to find another tool that does what we are building now. Um, the idea came up um, quite some time ago when um, my first company that I started early on um, was an agency business. Um, we would build websites and brochures and logos for uh, many different clients and work with many different freelancers. And we also had an internal team of about 15 people. Uh, we, we still do. The company's still running. I'm just not involved in the day-to-day -day anymore. But um, at some point, we realized, um, and we used Asana, we realized that using Asana or any other task manager is just so much more efficient than using email to assign tasks to each other. 
Uh, one, it's so much easier to keep track of who's working on what. It's easier to keep each other updated on um, if some deadlines shift. Um, there's just so many benefits that uh, we never wanted to go back. We also created a ton of checklists, so we never have to think about, um, like, let, let's say when we release a website, like, which are the steps that we need to check? Yeah. Um, so for internal teams, it, it makes so much sense and it made us so much more efficient. But then what I saw is that whenever we talk to a client or a supplier, we would still fall back into our old habits and use email, which to me just doesn't make sense. We figured out how using tasks for this type of communication is so much more efficient. Why do we fall back into our old habits and use email, which has all the downsides of losing tasks and you're trying to keep... Um, in the back of your mind, who you've assigned what, for what deadline, and so on. And I've asked myself one, and I think there's two reasons. One is um, for a client that I, especially if I only work with them infrequently, I don't want to force them to create yet another account to get started. Um, we all sure. have yeah. hundreds of accounts and different passwords, and it's, just, it's a hassle. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the second thing is I, we, I was looking for something that, was so intuitive that I would not have to sit down first with a client and talk through um, how we're going to use Asana or what our workflow is for Trello or whatnot. And so those were the two things that I was looking for. So instant, like an instant start without forcing someone to create an account first and something that's so intuitive and uh, foolproof that I don't need to sit down with them first and discuss how we're going to use this. And um, I think, I think I've tested 48 different product management tools um, and uh, I couldn't find any one that uh, offered, um, especially the first feature, um, because I think the second one is more soft, but being able to just start collaborating with someone without them first creating an account um, just doesn't exist. And um, yeah, that's how we decided to build um, SendTask. And so how it, the way it works is you can assign a task to anyone as long as you know their email address. And what happens on the other end is they get an email with the task description and all the um, info they need to know about it. And then they can either reply to the email to, to leave a comment or they, they can just click on a link in that email to open up the task. And that authenticates them and they can just work with that task as if they had an account. So it's very... It's very good for like a quick, simple start um, if you just want to collaborate with someone, not via email, but via task manager. Manager. Cool. And so, and what's the what's the what's your kind of vision and what's the roadmap for SendTask? Um, yeah, where 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 do you go from here? Yeah, so we see SendTask as the place where you prioritize your own tasks, but you also delegate and you catch up with other people's priorities and see what they've done with the tasks that you've sent to them. And our vision is that it should not be yet another app that you need to use, but that you can create tasks and send them to SendTask from where you already work a lot of your time. So for example, I've managed, I've mentioned the Slack integration that we've done, which is uh, super helpful for a lot of our users because it allows them to create tasks and also check on their priorities right from Slack without ever going to the SendTask website. And we've done the same um, with an email integration where you can convert emails into tasks and vice versa um, really quickly. Um, so I think the long-term vision is to um, make 
work fun again, or or at least making it fun to break big problems down into smaller steps so that big problems or big goals become a lot more achievable. Cool. So let's talk about as well your um, going back to this idea of um, your your minimalizing your life, um, and, and in terms of your you're doing loads of you're doing loads of different things. Um, and if I was trying to do all the different things you were doing as well as traveling around, uh, I think I'd be <laughs> I'd have gone mad. So what are your what are your life hacks? How do you kind of keep this whole how do you keep this whole um, slew of things, all these plates that you've got spinning? How do you how do you manage that? What's your kind of tricks for doing life when you've got too much to do? Yeah, I mean, obviously, I use Sentask a lot to keep um, on top of what I have to do and get done today, this week, and so on. So, so one of the life hacks that's been um, super efficient or um, awesome for me is that every morning I just spent the first 10, 15 minutes on getting a good idea of my day and what I want to get achieved. Um, and also I split up my day into two halves. Um, usually I start pretty early. I get to the office um, at about 6 and till 1 p.m., so for a good seven hours, um, I don't take any calls or meetings. I just work on the long-term priorities and the stuff that I want to get done. And this includes stuff like reading, um, if, I'm, if I want to learn more about a certain topic. It includes writing, um, but it also includes um, uh, building prototypes or brainstorming stuff. And then at 1 p.m., I feel like my day has already been super successful because I got a lot of stuff done that I had plan- planned for that day. And now my head is pretty free to react. And um, so from 1 p.m. until the evening, I take calls, I take meetings, dinners, um, and splitting up my day into these two halves where it's not um, one meeting and then one hour of uninterrupted time and then another call, um, but like these two big blocks um, of dedicated time for myself and for others um, has been extremely awesome for my for me. Like I, I feel like uh, in the middle of the day, I already feel like I've achieved a lot and that makes me happy. And then I'm even more productive in the afternoon. Yeah. Yeah. That's <laughs> the, uh, the challenge. I'm just trying to like relate that back to the, the kind of life of a project manager. It would be awesome if you could tell clients, sorry guys, <laughs> but we're only doing meetings in the afternoon, <laughs> like in the morning we're doing our own work. So what, um, I, what I've seen when I was, um, working at MediaSign, the, the agency business, is that um, maybe it was hard to um, block off like three quarters of a day, but because um, I, I usually, so business here starts between eight and nine. So getting to the office um, like three hours before most of my clients started to work already helped me to get a lot done. And then they usually yeah. also were uh, pretty understandable. Like they understood if I didn't take calls before, let's say 11 a.m. So that already gave me like a five-hour block of time where I could just get stuff done. And then, of course, I would make myself available for emergencies. But other than that, I just tried to call them back uh, later that day. Nice. There you go. There's a good tip. <laughs> Tell the clients you're unavailable. See what happens. <laughs> but um, but um, what, 
what would you say would, would be kind of one takeaway for um i mean you've been in the you've been in the agency business you you understand what it's like to be a project manager and a product manager but what's the what would you say in terms of you've kind of minimalized your life you've um kind of created these kind of structure and processes um to be more efficient and be more effective so you can get more stuff done um where where for you is the starting point and the kind of first few steps to being more efficient and getting more stuff done i think for me a lot of it is about priorities and being very clear about priorities so for example i've decided that um for the past few years and probably the next one or uh, or a few years my main priority is to learn as much about building a company as possible and once I've realized that that's my priority, I was also able or um, willing to make sacrifices in other places of my life. As you mentioned, like I've given for the last one and a half years, I have not had an apartment. I have not had a constant home. I only have as much stuff as fits into my backpack. Um, and I travel an insane amount of um, time. I, I think this year alone, I spent about 20 hours on planes and uh, sorry, 20 days on planes. Um, and then the next step for me was just becoming conscious of what that means and then building the right processes to deal with the downsides of that lifestyle. For example, um, I listen to a ton of podcasts and audiobooks because that's what I can do when I'm waiting in line for security at an airport or while I'm boarding a plane or, um, uh, yeah, just time that would otherwise be wasted or very unproductive. Cool. And so in, in terms of, um, uh, yeah, in terms of like a, a takeaway for people in terms of thinking about how they, um, kind of go back to the, <laughs> to be more minimalist, would you, what was that kind of process like for you when you decided, okay, hold on, I'm going to get rid of, <laughs> I'm going to get rid of 99% of my, of my life. Um, was that an, was that an easy process for you or like how, how did that come about? So I realized I started to travel more and more and I had mostly only access to the stuff that I was able to bring with me anyway. Um, and then I had this idea for, for an experiment or I was just curious and, and I'm very left brain. So um, I work very well with num my, my brain works very well with numbers. So I, so I had this idea for this experiment to, I wanted to know how much stuff do I actually own. And I started going through my apartment and creating the spreadsheet of stuff that I owned. Um, and I wrote down five black t-shirts and uh, three pairs of shoes and um, two leather jackets and, and so on. And as soon as I had that, I, um, I had a number, right? I had, I think back then it was probably your Probably right. I got rid of about 90% of stuff since then. So, so I had about 700 things uh, back then. And um, as soon as I had a number, it was something that I kind of wanted to optimize. Um, and I asked myself, if I could only own one type of T-shirt, which T-shirt would it be? If I can only have one type of shoes, which type of shoes would I want to own? Um, and I really enjoy these kind of questions. I, I uh, It's almost philosophical, but like, uh, from there on, like I started to think about like how can I consolidate like these three type of shoes that I have into just one. The shoes are bulky, and you really only want to have one. So I have one type of one pair of shoes plus plus Vibrams, which I use for hiking and 
it's like these toe or finger shoes. Um, yeah. So that was the first step, like thinking about what, what do I, um, really need and, uh, of which item, which brand or model is the best for, for most of my, like the situations that I, uh, will be in. And then from there on, what I've used is I call it the 1990, uh, day process. So every 90 days, I, I kind of look at the stuff that I still have. I look at this spreadsheet and I, I ask myself, what items have I not used in the last 90 days? And am I probably not going to use in the next 90 days? So by that, I cover half a year. And half a year is a pretty long time span. It usually involves like cold days, warm days, uh, formal activities, informal activities. Um, and so if I can't think of a situation where I'm going to use that item, I put it away. I put it in a bag and I leave it at my parents' place or a friend's place. Um, because I, often there's this emotional hurdle of getting rid of stuff, but by just putting it in a bag and putting it in a in a corner, um, that's much easier than giving it away straight straight away. And then ninety days yeah. later, um, so far I've never taken anything out of that bag because I've never had the need um, to go back and and pick something from it. So ninety days later, it becomes really easy to donate the donate or give it away or sell that stuff. And uh, yeah. yeah, and from there it's just been like iterating um, over and over again. I'm actually down to 48 items now. I, <laughs> yeah, when I gave up on my apartment, I had 64. Now I'm down to uh, 48. And they're all black. <laughs> I, I, the, the interesting thing for me is that you must, you must depend, though, on having a, a very uh, like efficient washing cycle. So for your clothes to be washed and then dried and to be back into circulation to only have 48 things, you must be very efficient at keeping your either either not getting dirty or keeping your clothes very clean. Because uh, I'm sure I've got 48 things that are waiting to be (laughs) like waiting for me to wash them. But uh, yeah, so that's all good. Yeah. And if you. Yeah, yeah, I have, Sorry, I have clothing for like full seven days and then I need to wash. And because everything is, um, um, it's all black, so I can do it all in one go. Um, I, I can just wash once. And um, most of my stuff is uh, from like a fabric that dries really quickly and wrinkle-free. So yeah, it's it's pretty efficient. I've optimized for that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've checked out. So if you go to 64things.com, you can check out Cedric's list. Uh, which which includes a few Vancouver classics like Lululemon and and Kittenace, yeah. uh, which are the uh, Cedric's kind of like the uh, yeah the the classic uh, persona for for someone like Kittenace. It's a, a guy on on the go who um, who kind of wants flexible clothing. You're like the perfect guy for it. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, I love but, their uh, their clothing. I think it's great for um, the type of um, travel that I do and like how often I need to wash it and how durable it needs to be, but still look kind of formal. Yeah. Technical cashmere. That's what it's all about. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Cedric, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, It's been great having you with us today. Likewise. Thank you for having me. Cool. And if you'd like to contribute to the conversation, um, comment on the post on the blog or head over to the community section of the digitalprojectmanager.com to join our Slack team where you'll find lots of interesting conversations going on there. But until next time, thanks for listening. Mm